Well, what happens if your ship hasn't come in? Well, here's my advice. Don't wait. Swim out to meet it. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, welcome in. We're going to be talking about that. What happens if your ship hasn't come in? Do you just have to sit around? Wait, hope you get lucky, hope you win the lottery, hope your rich uncle dies. Nah, not going to happen. We're going to talk about how to make things happen, even if they aren't unfolding as fast as you think they ought to. Here's some of the questions we'll be looking at. How do I find my passion when I've allowed myself to be mediocre for 17 years? Ouch. Dan, how do you keep it together for your family when all you want to do is fall apart? How about this? Now, we're going to spend a little time on this one. My two older boys are ages 8 and 10 and want to start businesses or get jobs to earn money. I want to encourage their entrepreneurial spirits, and I was curious if you had any ideas on work ideas for children that age. Well, absolutely. If you got kids, you might want to gather them around. We're going to talk about what if they're 8 and 10 years old? We got summer coming on. They're just going to sit in front of the TV or play video games. Yeah, get them involved. Lots of things. We'll talk about some of them here. Where do I go for chapter two of my life that allows me to work from home on my schedule and get most important and most important to get really uh, opportunities to guide and teach people? Well, those things we can find. Our quotation for today comes from Viktor Frankl. You hear me mention him frequently as the author of Man's Search for Meaning. One of those classic books you ought to read about every six months to remind you how good we have it here. He was in the German concentration camps and discovered that nobody could control his attitude. They could strip away everything he had, and they certainly did with him, but they couldn't control his attitude. Well, his quotation is, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. Now, I've got some updates for you on a couple of things I just want to share here before we go into some good news, get some fun, good news things, and then going into the questions. Some of us are going to be going to social media marketing world. Now, that's going to be happening March 20th through the 22nd. So just coming up pretty quickly here. And we're going to have an Eagles lunch. If you're part of the Eagles community, hey, I want to buy your lunch. Now, watch in the Eagles community for updates on that. Uh, Chris Niemeyer is heading that up. He'll let you know all the details. But it's going to be at the rooftop patio of the Kempton Hotel there in San Diego at noon on Friday, March 22nd. So again, we're going to have an opportunity to get together, hang out, share ideas, inspire each other. Love doing things like that. We also have our March newsletter contest going on still. If you're out of work right now, send a brief note to out of work at 48days.com explaining how you lost your job, what you learned in the process, what you're moving to. There's some instructions there, but uh, just shoot a note to out of work. That's O U T T A W O R K. Obviously, we made up a word there O U T T A W O R K at 48days.com. And we're going to draw a winner each week 
to get our ultimate fresh start package. Got a whole bunch of resources in there for you to get you going. And then our resource for this week, I'm going to repeat what I did last week because we still have so much response to that. And that is to get the study guide. If your dream is not supporting your life, if your dream isn't paying the bills, uh, go to 48days.com slash creativity and you can get a guide to help you figure that out. We got resources that we we keep adding there because it's such a common concern. Do I really want to do this? This is my dream. I want to be an artist, musician, a sculptor, a poet, whatever. But how do I make that work? Well, we got some resources there because we encourage you in those kind of endeavors, those kind of ventures, those kind of artistic, creative things. If you can create a complete plan to make it happen. Well, our business partner today is Fresh Books. I mean, do you remember when you started your small business? I know that's not a small deal at all. It takes a lot of late nights, early mornings. You know, people often ask me about that. And we've got that 15-hour overview. Or if you spend 15 hours a week, I think you really can grow a side business significantly in three to six months so that you can transition. But it takes a lot of time. No, no question about it. You know, I've always put in a lot of time. I enjoy doing what I'm doing, but I'm not looking to reduce my time in my business back to four hours a week, as Tim Ferriss so famously talked about. I'm not looking for that at all. You know, if I can have a nice, comfortable 50 hours a week, hey, I'm good with that. So, uh, but it takes a lot. Now, one of the things that is a challenge we know is the accounting. How do you do invoicing? How do you keep up on top of your bills, both payables and accounts receivables? That's the kind of thing we want to make it easy for you. Fresh Books comes alongside to grow your business. They give you the tools to allow you to do that easily when you need them and in a way you can understand them, even if you're kind of an amateur in the accounting area like I am your buddy, Dan Miller here. Yep. Well, you can join the 24 million people who are already using FreshBooks. Try it for 30 days. There's no catch, no credit card required. Just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days, enter 48 days in the, how did you hear about us section? Now let's, I got some good news here. A couple of pieces I want to share. Got a note from uh, uh, Tony, Tony McCall, um, regular listener. And uh, he says, thank for your podcast. I enjoy listening each week as a display of gratitude. I want to share a movie that I think you'll really enjoy. Now, you can hear with the music there. I'm playing a song, a familiar song, that old Bill Withers song, Lean On Me. I've, I've used that as kind of a constant theme in my life for years and years, just for inspiration. I love that song. Well, anyway, Tony says, I heard you didn't know much about Bill Withers, I immediately thought that you would love the documentary about his life called Still Bill. Well, Tony sent me that movie. And I, Tony, I appreciate that. Got it laying out in our kitchen counter right now. And as soon as I got a chance to sit down in front of the, the TV, I'm going to pop that in and hear the backstory. Still Bill, Bill Withers, who sang this famous song. Yeah, I'll get just to the the big line here and then we'll move on Lean there you go oh jeez i love that lean on me when you're not strong well we're going to move on beyond that hey here's the good news piece that i really like you know how when when um seniors are going to graduate 
schools typically have, I mean, I'm talking about high schools. So they have this ceremony and they say, gee, this guy got signed as a, you know, running back at Notre Dame and everybody claps. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this gal got a scholarship to go to Harvard. Yay team. Well, here's a school that has a signing day for seniors that are starting jobs, not going to college. I mean, I love that. I mean, we know how, you know, athletes sign letters of intent to play for college programs. You know, coaches beam with pride because they got that out there. And you know, my, I talked about Joanna me driving past a high school here locally where they got the big banner in the yard that says, you know, 100% college admission for our graduating seniors. And it made me want to pull over to the side of the road and weep because I don't think that's a great option for every single student. Anyway, this school in Virginia and Henrico County, they have a career and technical letter of intent signing day. So they have students up there that say, hey, they're going to go to work for Lee Company, like here in um, Franklin, Tennessee. Lee Company is a really big heating, air conditioning, plumbing company owned by Bill Lee, who is now our governor, governor of Tennessee. But what if somebody was going to go to work for the Lee Company? Well, geez, they show that kid signing a letter of intent and Bill Lee walking in there, congratulate him. I mean, I love the fact they're doing that, that welcoming these kids into real life jobs. Somebody going to go to work for a construction company. Hey, they put some, put on the hard hat. Everybody cheers and yells for them because they have this job that they're going to. Well, great program. Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs has really commended what's happening here, and we're going to see this more and more at schools as they realize the practical application of a lot of kids going right straight into jobs rather than delaying the reality of the world by going to hang out at a school and accumulating school debt for four years. Now, there was, there was a, a, a grocery store in Kingston, Ontario, up in Canada, that accidentally left their doors unlocked. It was a national holiday, so the store wasn't going to be open, but the doors opened and nobody was there. Now, you can see the setup. Customers come, walk in, and there's no staff there. I mean, wow, what an opportunity to just get the five-finger discount, I guess, just take things and walk out. But customers didn't do that. Customers that were in there talked to each other, and they found a few things that they needed and left the money on the counter. Now somebody did, you know, call the police and they showed up and got the doors locked again. But I think that's a pretty cool kind of way to do it. You know, in some ways we ought to be able to have things like that. I mean, we still do in a lot of ways right here, right here on my street, my next door neighbor, Danny Scott has bees. And so in June and July, he'll have his little cute little cart. It's a little iron wheeled cart, bright yellow, sets out at the end of his lane, way away from his house. You can't see the house from where it is, but he has honey there. And it's just simply the honor system where he has prices and the different sizes. Well, somebody could just clean him out, obviously. He doesn't worry about that. He's been doing this for years. Now, the funny thing is, Danny being a great neighbor, you know, he loves to give us honey. Now, I like having honey. I We use it a lot. And um, having my smoothie in the morning, uh, Joanne and I use it in our tea. Anyway, I love having local honey like that. It helps your immune system. So we like having it. Well, he just gives it to us, any, anything that we want. But I feel bad about just our continuing use of his honey. Honey 
takes a lot to produce. It ought to be extremely expensive because it's so takes so much time to produce it. So I go down, I sneak down the lane and go to his cart and leave money there and leave extra money there because I think he deserves it. But uh, I love the fact that it is just an honor system. But I need to hear the story about the grocery store where people did not take advantage of that, but left money instead. All right, one more here, and then we'll go into questions. This is, remember Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Of course, is the name, I, uh, Lou Alcinder. Wow, I just remembered that. Lou Alcinder was his real name, but gave himself the name Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Dual Jabbar, and obviously it was a, a basketball wonder. I mean, this guy was just amazing as a basketball player. Well, here's the deal. He has all kinds of trophies and rings and everything like that. He decided instead of just having those sitting around, you know, gathering dust somewhere, that he was going to put those up for auction, and the money could go to help underprivileged kids. So they did that. This just ended just this week, the auction was being done online. So he put up things like the basketball that uh, was the last one that he actually touched in playing. And then the rings, he had um, like six special rings and all, put those up. Well, these things are bringing hundreds of thousands of dollars. This is not just chump change. And this is going to the Skyhook Foundation, his charity for helping underprivileged children pursue particular education in the sciences. He said, you know, when it comes to choosing between storing a championship ring or trophy in a room or providing kids with an opportunity to change their lives, the choice is, choice is pretty simple. Sell it all. He says, looking back on what I've done with my life, instead of gazing at the sparkle of jewels or gold plating, celebrating something I did a long time ago, I'd rather look into the delighted face of a child holding their first caterpillar and think about what I might be doing for their future. That's a history that has no price. Now, I pulled up the site here where this auction, the auction just ended. Like the basketball that was used for the last points in his career they had a minimum bid of $35,000. You know what it brought? $270,050. $270,000 for the basketball. The ring, one of the rings had a minimum price of $65,000. Los Angeles Lakers, world champions. Now, I don't know why this would be meaningful to somebody else, frankly, but Fortunately, it is. And it, it had a minimum bid of $65,000. It brought $373,700. $343,000 for that. Now, right there, we've got, you know, well over half a million dollars. And there were multiple rings. So a million bucks. And it goes on from there. Trophies, $122,000. Oh, here's a watch that he had that had a Lakers watch, brought $6,700. So all these things, you know, trophies and plaques and all that, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, sold those. I mean, oh my gosh, I think that's awesome. You know, one of the things um, with anticipating uh, potential move, I have talked about reducing the number of books that I have. Well, I had talked about getting the number of books that I have down to 1,000 copies. Then I thought, ooh, what if I could get it down to 100 and then I decided, what if I really, I mean, when I write these days, I can pull up any book I want to read online, go right to the page I want. I don't even have to walk from my desk over to a bookshelf and pull it off. It's that easy. So I do writing differently than I used to. And I thought, what if I narrowed that down, not to a hundred, but to 50, 
Then I thought, well, I might as well make it my magic number, just make it 48. So I'm really kind of intending to do that, to walk through my books and not to simply choose each one. Gee, do I want to give this away? But rather to look at my books with the eyes of what are the 50 books or 48 books that I absolutely can't live without, that I really do love to have. And, and certainly I've got some. I've got an original copy of Think and Grow Rich. I mean, it's worth thousands of dollars. Obviously, I'll keep that. Some others like that that I'll want to keep. But I'm really looking at it and doing like that. Well, as a result, I've had multiple people reach out and I've agreed to give the remainder of my books rather than going through and just selling them one at a time and getting, you know, two bucks here and three bucks there. Uh, I'm going to donate the entire lot to an organization, Dr. Chris McCloskey's organization. He has Incubator. It's a small business incubator that they have where young entrepreneurs come. They can kind of hang out there. And I'm going to donate the whole thing, and it's just going to be the Dan Miller Library. I'm going to include some of my eagles that I've got on the shelves, model cars and all that to go with it. I'm really excited about that. We're looking at just the logistics of getting that, making that happen. But I love that idea. Let's just give it to a worthy cause and have them all stay together. Well, got a note from Ben Eubanks, a regular uh, podcast listener. He says, last week you had a question from somebody about creating videos for Ikea assemblies and you shot it down. I think their specific approach is probably not the right way to go, but I do think there's a viable option. I think the angle would be to do assembly instructions for real humans videos for all kinds of vendors, not just Ikea, then they can sell sponsorships for their content and Ikea may actually pay them in the end to create the videos. Uh, For proof, look no further than Ryan, the highest paid person on YouTube. Well, yeah, I talked about that a few weeks ago. Ryan's the kid, seven-year-old, who last year made $22 million playing with toys. Now you get money from YouTube because of the views because they insert their little ads in there and get paid for them. And also you can get paid for the sponsor or for, you know, in his case, the manufacturers of toys that are going to pay to have him review them because they get so many views. So fun things. And yeah, Ben, I love being called out on that, that, uh, Hey, there probably are ways to make money and doing videos. And I, I love the fact that you guys, you know, look over my shoulder and say, Hey, there is a way to do that. So, Go back to whoever it was that asked about doing the IKEA videos. Probably are ways to do that. I'm not sure I've got the patience to do that, but if you do and can figure that out and start to generate an audience, yeah, it's certainly possible. All right, now this comes. Um, God, this comes from AJ. It says, "How do I find my passion?" I've allowed myself to be mediocre in my career position at my current work, especially in the past 17 years. Wow, that right there, just, whoo, I've allowed myself to be mediocre in my work for 17 years. However, I've always had a strong work ethic and been very loyal, dedicated employee. Last year, I rotated laterally to a more challenging position, and now I'm on a performance review under significant stress. I've been with the company going on 30 years. Well, that's a tough situation to realize you've allowed yourself to drift like that. You know, one time, a couple years ago, I spoke at a church over in Memphis, Tennessee, and spoke on following your dreams. I mean, one of the themes that I talk about often is hold fast to dreams. comes from the old Langston Hughes poem, you know, hold fast to dreams for if dreams die, life is like a broken winged bird that cannot fly. And I love that verse. 
And I had a gentleman who obviously was very attentive, sitting right up front. And afterward, you know, there are a lot of people that came up and talked, and I could see that he was waiting over in the side. So he wanted to be the very last person to talk to me. So he was, waited, and uh, we talked. And he says, I don't know how to do that. He said, I don't have any dreams. And I said, my goodness, that's not possible. Everybody has dreams. I mean, I really don't believe that's possible. He said, well, I, I don't. I just go to work. I said, what do you do? He said, I'm a pharmacist. Now, I had a three-minute conversation with him. He had been at his position for 17 years, just like Jason, just like what you're talking about here. And he had described that because there were slow, subtle changes, he just hadn't responded. And so he had totally lost touch with what his original dreams were, just because of the predictable routine monotony of his job. He, he was doing, and he was being paid well, but he had really lost touch with who he was. Boy, tough kind of situation. You know, we can compare it to that, the, the, the frog in the kettle kind of story, where if you throw a frog in hot water, it'll jump out. And in the same way, you know, if some really dramatic change approaches us, we'll respond, we'll do something. But if you put a frog in just that lukewarm water and slowly turn up the heat, you know, we're told they'll sit there and cook to death because the changes are so subtle, they never respond. And we see a lot of people doing that. And it seems like, uh, Jason, what you're describing here, that you've just allowed yourself to drift. You know, you've been at the same company almost 30 years, and here you are now stuck in under performance review. Something may change. Well, what you want to do is take this opportunity, and an opportunity it is, even if it's been prompted by something external, even if it looks like something unwelcome or unexpected is around the corner. Just see it as a golden opportunity to take a fresh look at who am I? Where am I going? Where do I want to be? And how am I going to get there? So ask others who know you well. Follow your curiosity. Now, the value of having 30 years in the workplace is you're not the same person you were 30 years ago. There ought to be skills that you've developed. There ought to be clear patterns of things that line up with your interest, your curiosity. So just like I talk about in 48 Days to the Work You Love, you want to identify three areas as you know them now, which you wouldn't have had all the information 30 years ago. What are your skills and abilities? What are those things, not only that you know you have the ability to do, but that you want to continue doing? What are your personality traits? And if you haven't done that, I mean, jump over to 48days.com, take our personality profile, a really critical piece, letting you know, how do you work with other people? What kind of environments are you most comfortable in? How are you likely to manage, persuade, lead, encourage, and that? that it'll tell you that. So make sure you have that. So we've got number one, skills and abilities. Number two, personality traits. Number three, what are those values? What are recurring dreams? What is it that when you're doing it, wow, time just flies by. You realize it's when you're working on ideas, not when you're around people. Or it's when you are around people, but it's when you're around younger people that you really come alive. You know, there's no right or wrong, but I look for those patterns. Here's what you, see, you say you don't really know what your passion is. Don't expect your passion to show up in full force, especially as you describe being so unconnected with really who you are and what your original dreams were. They're still there, believe me. They just need to be uncovered again. In the same way, passion is more developed than discovered. So find something you're interested in. Start doing that, and your passion will grow as you prove your competence and excellence.
I mean, think back. I just talked about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I don't know if he was passionate about basketball when he was a kid. Probably not. But at some point, oh, he was tall and lanky, obviously. At some point, he started you know, shooting hoops. And, gee, he was pretty good. And, gee, then he played a little one-on-one or horse with his friends. And he usually won. And so as he kept doing it and getting better, that's how passion grows. I mean, his passion came over a period of time, I'm sure, because he was good, proved his excellence in doing that. That's how we discover our passion. But it's not a matter of discovering it in advance because it just doesn't work like that. I mean, I I don't remember being passionate about writing as a kid. Yeah, I enjoyed those classes even in college. The ones where I had to write essays were more enjoyable to me than where I had to do some kind of quantitative analysis. But it there it wasn't certainly clear to me that I was going to be an author. I mean, that didn't come into play until I was in my mid-40s. And then in doing that and seeing the response and having some success and putting together the first versions of 48 Days to the Work You Love and having people buy those and all of a sudden, you know, money was coming in um, pretty surprisingly in the way it was coming in. And I had other opportunities, you know, to speak and leverage that. Well, then, wow, yeah, all of a sudden writing, I started to see writing as a real core for me and how I could do that, enjoy doing my passion. And that is my passion. There's nothing I enjoy more today than writing. Sitting in my quiet place with the creative ideas coming in, you know, reviewing information that I can assimilate and put into some kind of a form that I'll inspire people and give them hope and encouragement. Nothing I enjoy more than that. But that didn't come overnight. That came over a period of time. So expect that to be true for you as well. Well, Gail says, from Fort Worth, Texas. We just moved from California to Fort Worth, Texas. The move was good, but difficult. I teach violin, viola, and have to rebuild much of my teaching business, some online, but it's a 50% pay and cut and pay. Husband took a lower paying job with the company on the ground floor. And while it's growing, it's not there yet. As a result, we're struggling financially. And my annoyingly positive outlook has taken a beating. When we moved, I was the one who said, we'll have what we need, even when it looked like we wouldn't. The thing is, I had no idea how important it was to my family, my husband, twin boys, until I started breaking down because of the frustration of slowly rebuilding in a new state. Suddenly, everyone else did too. How do you keep it together for your family when all you want to do is fall apart? Well, Gay, I wanted to use your question here because it's, I think it's representative of a lot of questions that we get where, wow, you thought you had a plan, but then in moving toward that, things aren't coming together as quickly as you wanted. But there has to be, you know, looking at how you wrote here, you just moved from California to Fort Worth. That's a significant move. I mean, I'm confident you had a clear plan for why you wanted to do that. If it was just moving to a new climate, closer to family, Obviously, it wasn't apparently wasn't apparently job opportunities that caused you to move. So it might have been other things, you know, like when we moved to the Nashville area, it had nothing to do with work or business or income or career at all. It had to do with, gee, nice, gentle changing of the seasons, not too hot, not too cold, close to a major airport, a lot of cultural things here. I mean, those were the reasons that brought us here. Then after we got here, then I started figuring out, okay, what am I going to do work wise? That was years ago. And before I was doing 
the things that I'm doing today. So I was figuring that out. So I assumed that in moving from California to Fort Worth, you had a clear plan for what it was that brought you there. So if you're open and the and the fact that it's just the income side that's really frustrating you, I mean, that's okay. I mean, certainly we hope that that's a, a very temporary kind of thing. But I want you to get a really clear vision of where you want to be three years from now. Fresh move. What do you want your life to look like three years from now? See, clarity on that goal will give you the hope, optimism, and boldness about taking the little steps today. Now, let me, let me just tell you this, Gail. Whenever I've encountered somebody who is discouraged, frustrated, resentful, guilty, depressed, I know without question they're looking back over their shoulder at what's already happened. They're looking at the past. You know, how they were treated unfairly, let go from a job, a victim of the real estate downturn, a spouse or friend was unkind. I mean, those kind of things. As soon as we get clear on where they're going, what they want their life to look like in three years from now, we see those negative emotions immediately start to diminish and fade away. And we see an explosion of optimism, hope, and boldness taking in, in taking action. So you got to have a clear plan for the future. Don't get stuck in what is true now. Have that clear vision of what you're moving to, not what you're moving from. I mean, a lot of people are ready to make change because they know what they're moving from. But until you get clear on what you're moving to, that can be a frustrating kind of possibility. Now we have at the as a byline on the 48 Days website, the best way to predict your future is to create it. So that's what you want to do. You want to make sure that you're in the driver's seat, that you're creating the future. You've got this fresh start and you have the opportunity to decide how you want to invest your time, who you want to nurture friendships with, where you want to go to church, what you want to do to get involved in the community. All those things are new. I mean, what a fun time for you and your family to be able to evaluate those things. And you certainly don't want to feel like a victim of circumstances, especially if you created the circumstances. Don't do that. But hey, Steve Sutherland, there's a quotation. I alluded to it in the opening of the show today. Don't wait for your ship to come in. Swim out to it. I love that kind of mentality. A lot of people are sitting there twiddling their thumbs, waiting for their ship to come in. Nah, sometimes those ships just keep circling out there in the harbor. Swim out to the sucker. Get out there in a rowboat if you have to and bring it in. That's what we do when we're waiting for our ship to come in. Well, hey, just a quick breather here. we got some more questions we're going to go into. But just a reminder, these are real-life questions from people just like you and me out here making things happen. Hey, it's springtime. Golly, the sun is shining here in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, today, we've had our, our share of rain, really more than our share of rain this spring, it seems. Just talked to my yard guy this morning. We got a clear plan for the next month, what we're going to do to clean everything up, all the flower beds. We didn't have a real hard winter, so the weeds are coming in earlier than expected. So we're going to mow those down and uh, put out mulch, get out ready for all the flowers that we'll have in in about a month. But it's a great time of year to be planning what you want to do this year. We're still here early in the spring. What do you want this year to look like? Hopefully you're on track with goals that you already set back in November. You know, November 14th is my magic day to have goals set for the new year. Hope you've done the same. But if you got a question, 
that you'd like to have us discuss here, I'd be happy to look at that. Just shoot it in to askdan at 48days.com. Now, you can go to any page on 48days.com site, and you'll see a little microphone over there on the the right-hand side. You can just click on that and start talking. Leave me an audio message as well. Once in a while, I share those. Uh, Typically, they're pretty long, and so I condense them into a, a question that I just share and go into the answer as well. But either way, you can either leave a... A voicemail message like that, just hit the microphone, or you can shoot an email in to askdan at 48days.com. And that's also the place where you can share success stories or things you think that I might be interested in, in sharing here. Appreciate those as well. Well, this comes from Abe, who says, Dan, I've been a podcast listener for at least 10 years. My two older, incidentally, let me think about that. I've been doing this podcast. The first one went up in December of 2009. So in December, just a few more months, it will be literally 10 years since I've been doing the podcast. Uh, I'm delighted to hear people that have been listening from day one. And a lot of people were listening to radio when I was on the radio before that. I was on radio here in Nashville for six years prior to that. So I've been given the opportunity to have a voice going out like this for almost 16 years now. And a lot of you have been around for a good part of that. I always delight to connect with you. So I was on the same station as Dave Ramsey and Rush Limbaugh, other people like that here in Nashville for six years, and then found the magic of podcasting, which gives us a much, much larger, broader audience. Love the opportunity to be here. One of Abe says, I've been listening for 10 years. My two older boys are ages eight and 10 and want to start businesses or get jobs to earn money. I want to encourage their entrepreneurial spirits and was curious if you had any ideas and work ideas for children that age. They're in school during the school year. My wife and I both have day jobs. I'm thinking lawn mowing, paper route, dog walking. Thank you so much for everything you do. Well, Abe, golly, thanks for listening. And what a fun opportunity as a daddy to have two boys, eight and 10, and realize you can give them opportunities to learn good work ethic, learn the principles of business, learn how to be little entrepreneurs, learn how to be responsible for their own money and all those things. You know, some people will look at this and think you're um, trying to abuse child labor. No, you're trying, trying to teach character, integrity, and responsibility into children at an early age. Thank goodness. We don't want them to show up 22 years old with a college degree and they don't have any work ethic or valuable skills to offer or know how economics work. Goodness, get them a bank account, show them how to invest, spend, save, give. I mean, those are things that children can learn at a very young age. Well, let me just tell you about some of the things that uh, my kids did, my grandkids are doing, but I'm going to give you some resources. So grab a a pen and paper. I'm going to give you some really strong resources that'll blow your mind with the things that you can look at for your boys to do. Now, when my son, Jared, who now lives in San Diego, California, um, but uh, when he was a kid, he wanted to know, gee, what could he do to make money? Well, let me start with my older child. When Kevin was 14, now we always had him doing things. You know, he, he did a variety of jobs. When he was 14, I sent him to a window tinting school in Atlanta. It was a week. I sent a 14-year-old down there for a week, and he went through window tinting school. Came back. I had another business at that point called Auto Appeal, so I was doing auto accessories for the new car dealers. So it was a nice fit 
into my business, but Kevin then started doing window tinting on high-end cars. It was not common for them to come to the fact from the factory with that back then. And so he was doing Mercedes Jags, golly, all kinds of fancy cars, Volvos. Uh, during, during the week, he would do that uh, two or three nights a week. But he very quickly got to where he was making five or $600 a week as a high school sophomore because he had his own business. We came up with a name for it. The whole thing he did it out, out of our garage, had cars just sitting in our driveway and just did it from our garage. But that's what he did. Jared, next one came along. Gee, what can I do? Well, we lived in Cottonwood subdivision here in Franklin. There's about 450 homes there. And you know, a lot of kids from mowing yards or throwing papers or walking dogs, uh, the common things, even the things that you mentioned here. Well, how do you do something that's unique that'll make you stand out where you're not just competing against 10 other kids in the neighborhood doing the same thing? Well, Jared was very good mechanically. And by then his older brother, Kevin was really seriously into bicycle racing Jared was really good with the mechanical aspects of bicycle. So we put out twice during the summer when he was 14 in that neighborhood, only twice we put out door hangers that put this week's special flat repair, $5 free pickup and delivery. Now, when you think about that, you have a child who has a bicycle and it's got some kind of problem. Well, gee, you have to put it in the, in the, trunk of the Lexus, hope you don't scratch the paint, haul it down to the bike shop, leave it, then remember to go back and pick it up. That's kind of a pain. Free pickup and delivery was a big deal. Now, how did that happen? Did I run Jared around the neighborhood? No. Hey, it's close enough. Go walk it, dude. You could do that. So we didn't have to take him to work. We didn't have to, you know, be concerned about his work hours. It was his deal. What do you think is true of a bicycle that has a flat tire? There's about a 98% chance it has some other problems as well. If it's going into the spring, like we are right now, it probably just needs a tune-up. Well, a tune-up was like 30 bucks, you know, just to clean the chain and the gears, make sure everything's working properly and all that. So he very quickly had a business where he was booked. I mean, and he was making two, $300 a week doing his bicycle repair, did that all summer long and carried it on beyond that. Ashley, our daughter, Working with her mama in the kitchen uh, was pretty good in the kitchen. She was known far and wide for her apple pies. So she would take orders at her school. And there were, there were families that would contract with her for like months at a time for X number of apple pies. So knowing when they were going to have special events or just to have on hand for their own, you know, Sunday dinners or whatever, they'd contract like for 10 pies, you know, $25 a piece she was getting for her apple pies because they were so awesome. My wife learned from my mom, who was Amish, uh, how to do some incredible baking. So she was doing that. So those are some of the ideas. Now I've got grandkids and you hear me talk about them in Canyon and Ian, two of Kevin, my oldest son's kids. I mean, they, they, they live on property that has thousands and thousands of aspen trees. So aspen is kind of a, a soft wood. It's light colored. It's very attractive, has a really cool bark. And so they have these pieces of that that may be like 16 inches long and about six inches high. So just these flat kind of plaques. Then they show up at the farmer's market and they'll personalize those by writing your name in there with a router. So the cost of materials is nothing. 
They have a router so they can write in there. It can be the name of your house if you want that or the name of a child or whatever. They do that and they do that consistently. They just seem to never run out of customers doing that. My One of my granddaughters, Eliza, does face painting. She's very good. But again, cost of materials are extremely low. And on one day uh, last year, I know there was a day where in between 1030 and 430, she made $422 face painting. And it was kind of, you know, some of her friends that have like part-time jobs at the, at the pizza parlor or the little ice cream shop, you know, they work a whole month to make that much money, you know, part-time. Gee, they're making 725 minimum wage. And Eliza goes out with face painting. That's, that's how you, you find your child's area of curiosity and then help them just develop that. Clara, one of my daughter, Ashley's little girls, you heard me talk about, you know, she would show up at our events that we had here at the sanctuary with her poppy seed muffins. You know, she'd often come, you know, dressed in a a bonnet and a long dress and carrying her little basket with poppy seed muffins. Well, who's going to resist that? And she quickly discovered too, that uh, tips were bigger than the cost of the muffins. Because people are very generous with that. But uh, we integrate our grandchildren and children, what they can do into the work that we're doing and opportunities around that. Now, she also you know, co-authored a book when she was eight years old with my wife, Joanne, and she continues to get royalties in that book and carries them with them with her and sells those, sells them for $10 a piece. Cost on those that she has to give me for purchasing those is $2 a piece. So it's $8 profit every time she sells those. So she has her own money for whatever she wants. She donates money to humane societies as they travel around the country. Uh, she also right now is doing video editing. She has uh, a couple regular clients ladies who do like blogs that go out and they send those to Clara. Clara superimposes their website on top of the video. She does video editing. I mean, she uses GarageBand, other kind of technology. She's very comfortable with that. And and the cool thing about these kind of things, even like what I'm talking about there, or let's say you do eBay sales. So you can sell, you know, your boys can be selling clothing. I mean, I had somebody one time I was working with and they were doing Banana Republic clothing. There was an outlet near them where they would sell like last year's versions of the clothing. So brand new merchandise, but they would sell it for like 15 cents on a dollar. Well, they realized they could get about 50 cents on a dollar by just positioning it on eBay. So they just ramped that up. I mean, made significant money. I mean, we're talking a couple thousand dollars a week by just doing that one particular thing. And the cool thing about being on eBay and it could be sports items, electronics, collectibles. You know, you could get Kareem Abdul-Jabbar basketball cards, whatever, others. You know, Mickey Mantle baseball cards, those kind of things. Nobody knows the age. Nobody knows the age of who you, what, 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 how old you are when you're online. So it's if, if it's video editing or certainly selling things like that, those can be done. Now, let me give you some resources here. I'm going to give you uh, just three or four resources that you can go that are really open your eyes to the possibilities. So I've got three websites for you, bizkids.com. That's B-I-Z, kids.com is one. Another one is 100startup.com. Now that's our buddy, Chris Gillaboo, who has a book, $100 Startup, where he goes through lots and lots of examples where people started businesses, including kids. But the website is 100startup.com. And then another one is howtomakemoneyasakid.com. I love this site. 
howtomakemoneyasakid.com. That's the site. Now there you're going to find a listing of 200 plus ways to make money as a kid. I mean, they're right there. Just go to that site, howtomakemoneyasakid.com. I love all of the things that they've got there. Tons and tons of those. Uh, there is a book that I recommend written by a regular podcast listener here, Janita Pavelka, I think it is. Janita Pavelka. Anyway, her book is Start Young, the ABCs and one, two, threes of owning a business by the age of six. So just, just look that up on Amazon. You can get that easily. Start Young, the ABCs and the one, two, threes of owning a business by the age of six. So those will give you a bunch of, uh, Callie, a bunch of options there for what you can do to give your kids ideas. Love the question. Thanks for shooting that in. Well, one more real quick. Michael says, thanks for the chance to connect with a real person. My story, I've given 25 years of my life to the insurance and benefits business. I'm burned out. Where do I go for chapter two of my work life that allows me to work from home on my schedule? And most important, get to really guide, teach, and help people. I have so many ideas bouncing around in my head. Which ones are God-inspired? I pray to hear God's voice. I've experienced a number of other writing, coaching, online business courses, and a material and theory are there, but I need more. What am I missing? I appreciate any thoughts and feedback you might give. Well, Michael, you know, I'm not sure what you're missing. When, when you have a course, when you have a guy, let's say that the, the source that I just gave here. So there's 200 ways to make money as a kid. Having that list doesn't make the gentleman's kid that I just talked about, Abe's kid, that list doesn't make his kids a penny. They have to take one of those ideas and implement it. The same thing is true with what you've got going on. You, you know, just having access to the material is not enough. You're going to have to decide which of these am I going to implement? How are you going to do something that has value to people? When it comes, you really want to guide and help people. That's very worthy. What does that mean? Do you have a unique course? Do you have a unique process? Do you have a unique approach? Is there a particular area that you help people overcome? You, know, you have to determine what is your unique value? What is your unique value proposition? Once you do that, you better believe it. You can work from home and help and guide people. No question about it. We got hundreds of people in this community that are doing that, working from home and they're helping and guiding people and making you know, more than just eking out a living. Believe me, you know, we keep sharing on here and in the 48 Days Eagles community, there are people whose success is absolutely exploding. We love seeing those stories and you ought to be able to do the same. If you're interested in writing coaching, my goodness, again, that's the place to connect with other people. We have lots of resources in there. We have people who are heading up those whole areas. You know, people like Kent Julian, who's heading up the speaking area, uh, Giovanna Allison in coaching, then people like James Woosley, Jennifer Harshman in writing. We have rich resources. Uh, Nick Pavlidis, we just had him on as a Monday mentor. Nick is, is helping people. He just wrote a book, The Millennial Whisperer which is already on the LA Times list. It's just rocking. It was only released two days ago. But uh, I mean, he's helping some people be extremely successful with their written messages. Well, check out the resources, create your own plan, recognize you can create the future that you want. Thanks for our background song here as always. Don't get stuck in a J-O-B. You can create the future you want. Well, we appreciate you being part of this community and you 
sharing the philosophy, the belief, the commitment, the confidence that we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.